0: Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm Caleb Clark.
1: And I'm Tiana Shabazz.
0: And thanks for tuning in. Today we've got two lovely albums for you folks. We've got uh, Wisdom Through Music by Pharaoh Sanders and Kind of Blue by the Prince of Darkness, the, uh, man, the bebop <laughs> man, the trumpeter from that one cameo on Scrooge, Mr. <laughs> Kilometers Jefferson himself, Miles Davis. Uh, Kiana, <laughs> how about you tell us a, bit, a little bit about Miles there?
1: Well, I'll tell you what this whatever i'll say we know that this, this, this man has been talked about since essentially he came out on the music scene he is what's interesting because i was looking a bit more about his biographical you know and um so he was born in illinois to affluent parents you know and this is like right before the great depression so to speak so like you know from slavery and reconstruction just like having that sort of like prestige, that's significant. I don't, I couldn't see if like his family background influenced the way he played music, but his mother was a trained musician, a violinist. And so music and the arts was always something that, you know, Miles grew up around, but it wasn't until he was a late teen that he really started coming into his own and performing with like other groups and just continually gaining more and more prestige. I mean, even in the midst of his heroin addiction, still one of the most acclaimed trumpeters, but it was after he really uh, kicked that that we get kind of blue, um, released in 1959. What's interesting about Miles Davis, and I'm not a jazz expert, you know, we like the sounds. That's about as technical as I can be. But, like, he was very much a bebop player, you know. And with bebop, mm-hmm. there's certain, I don't want to call it rigid because jazz by its nature, is you know, it fluctuates. But, like, the, the form of bebop where you had, like, essentially, like, your set chords, right that would change in the midst of the song so you're kind of moving through that but he was experimenting a lot with something called modality where essentially instead of like you're going by chords you're kind of going by scales and so it gives you more room as a musician to improvise um and it can create sounds that are more melody forward and i really feel like that's something we see a lot of in kind of blue um something else to note about miles davis though Like, when you talk about just, like, pioneering sounds, like, yeah, major player in bebop, major player with these new modalities that would inspire other musicians like Coltrane, right? But even outside of, like, specific jazz, his, like, work with fusion, you know, there's this Ken Burns documentary called Jazz that tells the history of jazz. And, and it kind of <laughs> I could resist, and it kind of goes into how Davis, like his work with fusion, how he was constantly challenging himself and trying to do mm-hmm. new things with his art, kind of you know paved the way for like pop and rock and other like sounds where you have a lot of improvisation um, and a mixer of elements. Um, so mm-hmm. that's just a little bit about Miles Davis, you know, one of the most influential jazz musicians, musicians of all time, one of the preeminent trumpeters. Um, you know of the modern day certainly um, and then somebody whose work is just continuing to influence people even now
0: yeah, yeah. wow that is quite those are some laurels
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and he's influenced like a ton of the people that we've talked about on the show like uh, married to Betty Davis from one of the early episodes and then of course John Coltrane was one of his side men who then married Alice Coltrane and then let's I guess those are the Two with actual direct connections now that I think about it. But yeah, he's like very massive. So the mm-hmm. kind of blue, yeah, you mentioned how it's like taking us from Bebop where it's, you know, all wonky and fast-paced and complex and taking it into sort of the chiller modal scales. Yeah, what'd you think of this
1: well, shoot, when it comes to this album, I bought this album sometime in like high school. You know, I was on my personal music education journey. So it was like, who are the best in their fields and what's their like best, their most seminal work? And mm-hmm. so when it comes to Kind of Blue, like when I listen to this album, this is this is what I think of when I think of jazz personally. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But it's like, to me, it is even as unversed as I am in the form, it is one of the like seminal quintessential pieces of jazz because you've got what i found striking about the album is how it tends to start simply you know with one mm-hmm. instrument and then it gradually builds the complexity and yet you still have this freedom like all the solos all the improvisations they just fit so well like to me there's nothing that's like dissonant or discordant it's just a very complete work
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's very true there's that. I guess I would call it, you know, with the ambiance where it's not, you know, nothing's entirely set in stone, but it's all, you know, sort of flowing together. Sometimes in very weird places, but like, mm-hmm. I'm still very much all in this sort of headspace of, yeah, man. It's a sort of, you know, cerebralness.
1: <laughs> well, no, I think, no, I think you're definitely uh, right there. It What's interesting is, you know, trying to figure out what is it about the sounds, the music on the mm-hmm. album that sort of like evoke these feelings and thoughts in the listener create can create a sense of intrigue you know what i mean like um blue and green you know it's i'll say like out of all the songs on the album that's the one that can't just kind of slip by like if you asked me to hum it i would be hard pressed but i think it does kind of like kind of encapsulate what we're saying because like it's quiet things build in kind of takes you on a journey that's still left up to your own interpretation it could be the focus it can be your soul focus in the moment it can be background music but it's just I don't know it's difficult to articulate
0: yeah I re- yeah blue and green was a really nice one especially because it's like uh, miles Davis when he comes in he's he's got this very sort of quiet and subdued very unemotive trumpet tone in a very pretty way like it's you know on this one he just makes you yearn for something unknown but you know it's like this very lightly breezing by sort of sound but like he he is very restrained because you know the thing from years of pep band and high school band (laughs) trumpet players are can tend to be characterized as boisterous and it it carries on to most you know brass players and it's you know usually not everyone is you know just some sort of dum-dum-dum-skull who's just deciding to crack all of the notes. But usually there is a lot more fire to a trumpet player. But Miles takes it very smooth. He's almost, like you had mentioned, as Miles well is a violinist, it, it kind of has that more of that vibe, or like a clarinet, you know, something smoother, more delicate, more thoughtful, mm-hmm. I would say. And then
1: the other... Well, it was... Oh, sorry.
0: Oh. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, and what you're saying, it actually reminds me, like one of his most influential teachers, I forget the man's name, but um, <laughs> essentially he strongly encouraged Miles when he was starting to play trumpet to like operate in that mid range of sound. And so what you're saying about, you know, the usual boisterousness, you know, we're used to hearing like scathing, you know, notes in yeah, the yeah, upper yeah. register, you know, where the occasional like sexy low tones, but <laughs> Davis very much loved to occupy that middle space and do a lot of work in there.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I think. One thing that sort of applied throughout the album, I think, that also really helped set the tone that you were talking about, would be uh, Bill Evans on the piano. He is. Mm-hmm. I was I was having to do some research because I also, aren't am not able to pick out anything by ear about jazz too much, but I was looking it up and apparently he was like very noted at the time for having this sort of floating style of piano playing where he would avoid the center tone of whatever chord he was on or the modality. And sometimes when he would make an arrangement, he would just say, play something around this key or this key, you <laughs> know. <laughs> he would, and, you know, he would have this sort of, his his piano style is very, you know, tentative and soft and, you know, more, you know, it sort of points in the general direction of the chord. And that really helps set that, you know, one, it gives a very, you know, pretty mood of, hmm. Contemplation, thoughtfulness, and it also gives the you know the one's players a lot of room to play around on. You know, they don't have to be restrained by him banging out a bunch of chords.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like,
0: yeah. And it definitely plays on here, where he's got the nice little intro for Miles to float in on.
1: Too. Speaking of intros, I think one of the best intros, like on this whole album, has to be Freddie Flute <laughs> Like, Mm. I don't tend to use the term iconic just personally, but, like, how can you not? How can you not just be, like, immediately sucked into the track? Oh,
0: yeah. That's a good groove.
1: Mm -hmm. Shoot. And that's what I mean. It's, like, it's melody forward. You got the Mm -hmm. trumpet and the saxophone working together. Like, the solos just, like, fit right in, and then it comes right back around to the melody. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think, looking up, it looks like this was the only one where Bill Evans was not the piano player. This one was by a guy named Wynton Kelly, and he has much, you know, bluesier down-to-earth style than Evans, and so it, like, really brings that out of everyone in the band, you know. Miles is still Miles, and so he's, you know, still a little bit cold and spacey, but uh, Cannonball Adderley and John Coltrane, the two saxophonists, they're having a whole lot of fun on this one. So it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. a jam, as the kids say
1: man it's just so freaking cool that's what i mean like i'll be honest if i was like out and about and then that Mm -hmm. song started playing to just narrate my day it's gonna change the (laughs) way i walk it's just it's gonna change the way i'm moving
0: yeah slickness
1: shoot that actually reminds me though in terms of like intros i think i mean it's 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 interesting to speak about like what's the strongest intro or whatnot i'm not sure that's the proper term because each of these tracks is like distinctive and so complete in their own right. But yeah. all blues is, I think, like my second favorite intro, because the way the piano is just like rumbling in the beginning, you know, and then the saxes bring in that melody. It's very satisfying. Oh,
0: yeah. There was definitely a whole lot of tension and urgency in that opening. Like, like you say, the sort of piano tremolo and the sort of sound coming in as everyone slowly gets louder. I think there was a little bit throwing me off on there because while they're doing all this cool stuff, the drums kind of stayed in just a regular jazz waltz. It's just like, you know, as they're doing this cool sort of build and there's like, it's like, ooh, there's tension, there's, you know, excitement. There's the drummer who's just going (laughs) which, you know, they're not the rhythm section. Let me see who's the rhythm section. Paul Chambers on bass and Jimmy Cobb on drums. They're not bad it's just that their job is to you know hold the rhythm steady and they don't really get any bass solos drum solos because this is 1959 and th- those hadn't really become as prominent in popular music at that point and so but they just it just sort of stood out on that one in particular because that's the only one where the drums didn't quite you know just help support and it was like oh well
1: well see that's funny because i was like yeah hold it down drums make it stable so these solos can shine Mm. but no but that's interesting though like yeah that is something i hadn't noticed when i listened to the album the drums are pretty i don't want to say stagnant i don't want to say static consistent
0: yeah they're just like again, like for jazz when when it's you know when everyone's a soloist you need someone to keep that beat because otherwise you're just gonna turn it well we'll get into what that turns into when the drums go all over the place (laughs) (laughs) right it's coming (laughs) yeah (laughs) well yeah they're they're here to hold it down so everyone can have a solo and not just turn into miles yelling at everyone for playing butter notes Right.
1: to i want to say when it comes to well, it's interesting. Yeah, percussive wise, there's yeah, I wouldn't say there's too, much, there's too much there, but I will say when it comes to so what though, I think the bass and the drums really do a lot to you know create that swing feel, and then as the other <laughs> instruments are coming in gradually, I feel like you get a nice little groove going. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, it's just a nice sort of. It's a very good intro because it just sort of eases you into this world of that's kind of blue, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> don't <'em. laughs>
1: I'll be honest, when it comes to flamenco sketches, I don't have too many thoughts. Like, it's not, it gives a more contemplative feel, I think, than some of the other tracks. Um, and I think it's a fine ending to the album. You know, 10 minutes, that's about standard for jazz. Um, but it wasn't, I, like, when I think about, like, compared to, like, Freddie Freelo- Freeloader or All Blues, you know, it's a good track. If I if I were better versed in jazz, could probably you know expound upon it, but it's good. It's a nice ending.
0: Yeah, I, I liked it too. Like like you said, it's a lot more straight laced, so it doesn't you know have anything to stick out, especially come, since it comes at the end. But you know, Miles does have a nice job of bringing in some more yearning with that opening solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say just as like a sort of overall note, it was sort of interesting to see the comparisons between the different soloists is let's see overall we have Miles Davis say this as he's huge on the trumpet you know we i've talked about him you know pretty well at length uh john coltrane honestly i'm not sure what to make of his solos oh actually i did have a quick note on miles davis that i wanted to add <laughs> you know he's he's very good uh you know sometimes it seemed like the notes were getting a little bit flubbed or he was having some difficulty hitting a note and, you know, you could sort of hear him going, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I do definitely respect him for, you know, putting this whole ethos together and sticking to it and not, you know, trying to play something easier on the ears. Coltrane, I feel like sometimes got a little bit too weird with it, which it's John Coltrane. He likes to get real weird with it. But uh <laughs> Cannonball Adderley, I, th- I felt like he was very good, you know, sort of, sort of the Ringo star of the soloist, you know, he's not as flashy, but he like keeps them grounded, plays something a little bit more, you know, pleasurable. And it's like, ah, a nicer solo. Like, you know, it's not full on. Mm-hmm. More accessible. Yeah. You know, it's, he's closer to, you know, the mainstream jazz, but he definitely still has enough chops and, you know, to hang out with these guys. So I like it. good sort mm-hmm. of mix of styles Hmm. I'm glad you picked this one and not his hip-hop album. I've been I've been told he did not he did not do very well on the hip-hop. I
1: didn't even know that existed. I'm not. I'm probably not going to check it out.
0: It's it's his last album. Uh, it's it's a Miles Davis album from the '80s. So no.
1: Kind of makes me wonder if it was used as like samples, you know what I mean? Like I'd be interested to see like if Miles Davis has featured prominently because like Q-Tip, you know, was very much inspired by Davis. So it makes me kind of wonder like, I don't know, that'd that'd be cool. I don't know if there's like a database or some compendium out there that kind of goes, yeah, that that sample, that was Miles Davis. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, there's the the site who sampled actually. It's a very nice resource. Uh, Let me see. Blues and Green has been sampled over 80 times. Oh, uh, Let's see. Uh, yeah, most of most. Of, ah, uh, so what got it just sampled by Erica Badu? Okay. And, and also by uh most with Charlie Hunter Quartet and Freestyle Fellowship. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. There's quite a few. Uh, <laughs> Savad. A later track was sampled in "Ain't No Thang" by Outkast from their first album. Hmm. Then something called the Dubop Song from 1991. I
1: really want that that Dubop.
0: Oh wait, no, this one contains samples of different songs. It's I'll I'll have to check that out later. But uh, (laughs) uh, back to the kind of blue. (laughs) Any other comments you have? I think I've got all my thoughts. Very introspective.
1: Last thing I can say is just, like, this album, like, it's still hailed as one of the greatest uh, jazz albums of all time. Like, it's literally in the Library of Congress. So, mm-hmm. for anybody wondering about the impact of this work,
0: there you go. Proven! All right. all right. Well, in that case, thank you so much for listening to our Kind of Blue section. And prepare yourselves... For the work of Pharaoh Sanders and Wisdom Through Music